The only trouble is that in the first hundred years, everything is put on the lips of Jesus. Yeah. Everything. So if I am really in my community here, let's say in in Galilee somewhere, and I'm having trouble with my fellow Jews, and they're thinking, we're pitching me out of the synagogue maybe because I'm thinking of this, that, and the other that they don't <laughs> want. I wish I would simply say, I think you people are going to hell. Mm. Okay, that's my opinion. Please don't say Jesus said it. Yeah. Don't yet reject yeah. my problems from the 70s, 80s, 90s, back into the 30s. Mm. Because otherwise you end up with a Jesus, again, bluntly, who's as schizophrenic as the biblical God. They're yeah. This day, that day, this day, that day. Mm. Anyone who actually reads the whole. Now, if you just learn verses, of course, there's no problem. Mm -hmm. as you said but if you just focused on the book of revelation you wouldn't have any problems either you could say god's final solution to the problem of evil is basically to kill the evildoers you're just on a holding pattern Hello, my friends, and welcome back to the What If Project Podcast. My name is Glenn Siepert. I'm your host, and you have landed on episode number 158. And today we're talking to my friend John Dominic Crossan for his third visit to the podcast. And today we're talking about a very important topic. This is one that I've been thinking about a lot lately, um, especially because I've been seeing a lot in the news lately. Uh, the Christian news, I guess, uh, regarding like the end times, right? All that stuff that happened with Israel and Palestine brought on this huge discussion uh, amongst some branches of the church uh, about the return of Christ. Like Jesus is coming back because of the instability uh, over in Israel and all the stuff with Palestine. There's all this talk about the end of the world. And uh, the other day I saw another article uh, by a famous uh, preacher, and he said that he said that all of the uh, ex-evangelicals, all the people who are leaving evangelicalism, it's the start of the end times. <laughs> so people like like this podcast is uh, pumping the gas on bringing about the second coming of Christ. But there's been a lot of this talk, and that triggers a lot inside of me uh, with my upbringing because I was brought up in this this world where we were taught that God is angry and God is mad and God can be violent. Because if you read the Bible, especially the Old Testament, there's a lot of violence there where God tells people to wipe out other groups of people, kill them, destroy them, take their stuff. Revelation, you've got Jesus coming on a horse and you got blood and gore and murder and all this weird stuff. And God can be violent, right? God is good, but God is just. God is wrathful. God is jealous. God is all these different things. So all this stuff is kind of coming back. And I've been thinking a lot of lately, like, how do you, what do I do with all this? <laughs> right? Like, what, what do I, I don't believe that God is angry. I don't believe that God is mad. I don't believe that God is wrathful. But I have all this baggage I'm carrying from my past that I'm trying to figure out how to unpack. So what does this look like? So uh, John uh, Dominic Crossan wrote a book that addresses this very this very idea, this very topic. And he was kind enough to come on the podcast uh, today to share a little bit uh, with us about some of the some of his perspective on the topic of the violence of God. Like, how do you read the Bible? How do you follow God when you have all these passages about God that are seemingly uh, violent? So uh, buckle up. This is a really good uh, conversation, and I'm excited to share it with you. Uh, special music today is from my friend uh, DJ K-Dot. Uh, we work together at the Apple Store. Uh, she's making really cool music, and uh, she's very talented, very creative. And uh, you should go to Spotify. You should go to Apple Music. You should go to all the places, download her music, and uh, share it with your friends. So I'll put the links to her stuff in the show notes, along with Patreon, and buy me a coffee if you want to support the show. The Heretic Shop, if you want to buy a hoodie or a T-shirt, get some what if Project Swag or Merch or whatever it is you want to call it. But all of that to say, my friends, uh, thanks for dropping by. And this is episode number 158 with John Dominic Crossan. 
Let's roll the tape. Yep, my genes filled with 400 years. Ancestors probably slaves to some of my peers. The DNA so strong, I'm crying in tears. Centuries later, I experienced some of their fears. Homie, who am I? A black man with black hands, man, who am I? A black guy with black eyes, dog, who am I? A boy who probably just got baptized, man, who am I? Another hashtag for black lives. We sick of dying, nigga. We sick of crying, nigga. Black on black crime got nothing to do with cop violence, nigga. Look inside your soul, you'll figure out we rise. And time to come up out of hiding. Our blackness is vibrant, no disguising what's black. Hey, black is the color of power. Embrace black, that's the color that's ours. Hold up, homie. All right, hey, everybody, and welcome hey, back to the, the podcast. Uh, today, we're sitting down with repeat guest who has become sort of a uh, regular here on the show, uh, your friend and mine, John Dominic Crossan. So, Dom, uh, welcome back for round three of the show. It's always good to connect with you. <laughs> As always, Glenn, good to be with you and with your listeners. Thank you. Going for the hat trick, I guess they say in hockey, I think that is. <laughs> guilty is another way of looking at it. Yes. <laughs> so uh, for our listeners who maybe want to hear a little bit more about Dom uh, and his story, we have two uh, previously recorded episodes where he tells us the details about his story and a little bit about his journey. But today um, I asked Dom to come on specifically uh, because I, I recently read his book. Hold it up for people who might be watching it. Uh, it's called How to Read the Bible and Still Be a Christian. Uh, is God Violent? An Exploration from Genesis to Revelation. And it really brought up a lot of questions in me that I think are really going to resonate with some of our listeners. And so, uh, Dom, just to give you kind of a, a background of me, uh, I grew up in the evangelical world, uh, very conservative. And while reading your book, it, it I was haunted by this memory that I wanted to share with you. And I thought it would be a good way to maybe kick off our, our discussion. But I remember back in the sixth grade, I was sitting in a Bible class in a private uh, Christian school, and we were learning about the book of, of Revelation. And we were watching like left behind type movies that were made in the 70s. Oh, yeah. So they're like super creepy because they're made in the 70s. It was like really weird music and stuff like that. And my dad was at the same time reading the Left Behind series. And he was like super addicted to it. And he was telling me like all about what he was reading. And I remember feeling not only very terrified, but really confused because in church on Sundays, right, we learned all about the nice Jesus who loved me and forgave me of my sins. And he was for the most part, you no know, nonviolent. He might've flipped over a table or two, but that was really the extent of the violence. But in, in this class, I, I was learning that the soon-to-come Jesus was going to be ruthless, violent, not really very forgiving, on a horse, you know, trying to set matters straight, take care of business. And all these years later, you know, I've rethought a lot of that. I've deconstructed a lot of that, but there's still this mark of confusion that I feel like all of those years left in me that I wrestle with, of this Jesus and the Gospels being you know, loving and, and kind while the Jesus right. of revelation is unforgiving and ruthless. And not to mention the God of the old Testament that Jesus supposedly represents. He has his own issues sometimes that make my, my skin crawl. And so I realize your whole book is obviously about this whole topic, but if you could maybe kick us off by helping us wade into these waters a little bit of what do we do with these violent passages in the Bible regarding God and and sometimes Jesus in the book of Revelation. Well, good for you, by the way, to, to recognize they were horrible. And of course, as I, as I mentioned to you, I live in Florida, in mm -hmm. central Florida, which is big on fantasy. Yeah. So I'm not worried about fantasy. It's, it's violent fantasy and what it does to our culture I'm interested yeah. in. But yeah. Let me begin with rock bottom basic. Mm -hmm. We are called, mm -hmm. and I am, Christians. We are not called Bible ands, mm. and we're not called New Testians, right. or New Testamentians. <laughs> Serious. Yeah. And John does not say God so loved the world he sent us a book. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, he sent us a person. Yeah. So, with all due respects and gratitude to Islam for saying we are the people of the book, Christianity is not the people of the book. We're the people with the book. Yeah. So all over those Eastern churches, especially where you see Jesus, the Pantocrator image holding the book, he's never reading that book. Mm -hmm. You don't read the book for which you are the norm. <laughs> it, it would be kind of like a judge 
up there who's giving judgment. He's, you know, he's going through the, the law court, you know, or a doctor doing surgery and he's checking right. out, you know, what to do with his, his instruments. Right. So sometimes the book is opened outwards towards us. And sometimes the book will say, if you read the Greek, I am the way, the truth and the life, which is yeah. of course Jesus. So I want to say this loudly and clearly. Mm -hmm. Jesus is the norm of the book. That is, since I am a Christian, and as a historian, I say this, for Christians, Jesus is the norm of your book. <laughs> it's all over the place. You're called Christians. Mm. We could be something else. There's nothing wrong with it. We could certainly say the norm of Christianity is the book. And then you're back with your question. <laughs> when I read this book, I find, let me be very blunt with my language, a sort of a bipolar God, yep. even the schizophrenic God, who oscillates backwards and forwards mm -hmm. between I'm going to cure you by killing you yep. and I'm going to cure you by loving you. And they're mm -hmm. both there. Yep. And it will not work, as you, as you well know. Sometimes Christians used to say, well, God of the Old Testament was a God of revenge, vengeance, slaughter. But the God of the New Testament is God of love and grace and compassion, which really works until you make the mistake of actually reading the Bible. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> then you find, as you said, right. any kid knows if you really want violence, don't bother about the book of Judges. That's just standard warfare. Go to the book of Revelation, the apocalypse. Yeah. That's where you find really good, those four horsemen. <laughs> you know, the, the cover of my book, when I look when looking for an image, where did I go? The four horsemen of the That's apartment. Right. <laughs> it's rivers of yeah, blood and everything. Yeah. <laughs> They're the best. Yeah. So, you know, if somebody was saying defend violence, I wouldn't bother with Joshua. Hmm. I, I work with John of Patmos. So basically, that's something we have to decide. Mm -hmm. if, if we are the people of the book and our norm is the book, then you'd have to say, I think, that God vacillates maybe between violence and nonviolence. But in the final analysis, in the great battle of good and evil, God finally decides the solution is to kill all the evil people. Now, quite frankly, it's in the book of Revelation. And I'm not going to say it's not. It is. It is, right? <laughs> it is. And what is happening in the book of Revelation, if you want to focus on it for a minute, is John of Patmos is dealing with the Romanization of his communities in the Western part of what's modern Turkey. And he's also extremely worried that they are sort of negotiating, you know, couldn't we be a good Christian and a, and a good Roman? I mean, this business, Roman business, Roman economy is good. Couldn't we kind of have a little of both? And what John says, is Rome has been slaughtering you. Rome is evil. It's the, it's the evilest thing you could imagine. It's Satan incarnate and all the images that you know well. Yeah. But since Rome has slaughtered you appropriately, justly, God is coming to slaughter them. Mm. I understand it from John. Well, I'll be honest with you. I, I don't think I even understand it from John because it's a bit overdone. Mm. Rome... Rome in the first century of Christianity <laughs> wasn't primarily feeding Christians to lions. They really weren't. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't want for a second to denigrate Christian individuals yeah. who died courageously and bravely. I don't. And they were exalted as martyrs, of course. Mm. With, any, with any movement starting up, there's a tend to slightly over-victimize I understand that, sure. but I go back to my original point. Jesus is the norm of the Bible or he's not. Mm -hmm. And that's what you have to decide. Are you called a Christian or a Biblian? Mm -hmm. now, none of that, as I say, denigrates the Bible. I wouldn't know much about Jesus without the Bible. I'd know something, sure. some Tacitus, but I'm not sure I could base a life on the Jesus I find outside the New Testament. So, of course, I go through the Bible to find Jesus. I can't find him anywhere else. Mm. But when I find Jesus saying in, the, in Matthew 25, 
excuse me, Matthew, Matthew 5, I meant, mm. love your enemies and telling me not to call them names. And later in Matthew, when I find Jesus talking about you, root of vipers, <laughs> you're all going to hell. <laughs> you know, um, I have to say, well, who has changed his mind? Has mm. Jesus changed his mind or has Matthew changed his Jesus? Mm. Now, again, I can understand it. If Matthew is experiencing from his own people, a sort of ostracization, maybe being pushed out of the synagogue, I can understand him escalating the nastiness in reply. But I wish Matthew said in his own name, whatever he wanted, and didn't put it on the lips of Jesus. Yeah. Because you can't have a Jesus in chapter five saying, don't call people names and love your enemies, even if they persecute you. Mm-hmm. And then going for them <laughs> later as brood of vipers, you're all going to hell. <laughs> um, you, unless you're going to say Jesus um, had a major conversion <laughs> to become an attacker. Yeah. So yeah. You, hmm. I, I sympathize with the people who are involved. I understand them. The only trouble is that in the first hundred years, everything is put on the lips of Jesus. Yeah. Everything. So if I am really in my community here, let's say in, in Galilee somewhere, and I'm having trouble with my fellow Jews, and they're thinking, we're pitching me out of the synagogue maybe because I'm thinking of this, that, and the other that they don't <laughs> want. I wish I would simply say, I think you people are going to hell. Mm. Okay, that's my opinion. Please don't say Jesus said it. Yeah. Don't retroject yeah. my problems from the 70s, 80s, 90s, back into the 30s. Mm. Because otherwise you end up with a Jesus, again, bluntly, who's as schizophrenic as the biblical God. They're yeah. This day, that day, this day, that day. Mm. So anyone who actually reads the whole, now, if you just learn verses, of course, there's no problem. Mm-hmm. As you said, but if you just focused on the book of Revelation, you wouldn't have any problems either. You could say God's final solution to the problem of evil is basically to kill the evildoers. You're just on a holding pattern yeah. for repentance. But Let's just don't... skip all the other stuff and go right to the end. <laughs> and there's the answer. And, and of yeah. course, it's not a stupid argument. Yeah. It's very often, if you want, if you've got a novel, the big thing, sure. you know how it ends. Right. <laughs> go to the end it's right? it. <laughs> done <laughs> oh good the person escapes I'm right. i mean i've done it with, with, with a, we have the long series on zoom i get get into it i want to know does this person end up and i skip right. <laughs> <laughs> the description to see if you know going to end up with... <laughs> the difference here is the difference mm-hmm. about the bible it's a very different book yeah, yeah. Books, you're quite right most mm-hmm. books most movies end with that kind of at the end. But my example, especially if you go to a classical church, you don't see the whole story of Jesus going all the way around you. Mm. When you go into the church, usually your eye is focused straight down the center. Yeah. Something there in the center judges everything. I'm thinking especially now, you know, of a, of a, a church that has illustrations and, and images around it. Sure, sure. It, I want to read the Bible the way you go into a church. Mm. Your eye goes right down the center. What's in the center is the norm of everything else. Now, mm. if you go into a center, sorry, a church, what you have in the altar, behind the altar, is all the images <laughs> from the book of Revelation. Right. I rest my case. Right. But in all the churches that I've been in, say all across um, Eastern Europe and Orthodox churches, mm. very often as you're going out, on the back wall, either inside or outside, that's where they put the hell stuff. Mm. <laughs> that's what the book of Revelation. So yeah. you're going out of church, and this is the last warning. Right. The last thing you see. <laughs> last thing you see to scare the living daylights out of you. Right. <laughs> as you exit. But nobody puts it in the center. Yeah. So yeah. I I find honestly the left behind series. I find this popularity, I'm going to use the word obscene. I'm using it in the Latin sense of obscenum, mm-hmm. something 
that's really bad because it takes something that is not the center and makes it the core or the center. Yeah. So yeah. basically that's my answer in that book yeah. is that you have to decide whether Jesus is the norm of the book or the book is the norm of Jesus. And if yeah. the book is the norm of Jesus and you go to the end, you could say, well, Jesus talked about, you know, loving your enemies didn't work out. <laughs> so God says, okay, we tried that didn't work. So I'm coming back. Plan B. Right? <laughs> Plan B and I'm a killer. Yeah. That God always was one. And I'm the killer son of a killer God. And of course, what's horrible about that is first of all, it destroys God. Yeah. That's the, that's the first and most basic. Yeah. Yeah. Second thing, it destroys Jesus. Mm. And thirdly, I think it destroys us. Yeah. After all, if this is God's final solution to the problem of evil, how can we do any better? Yeah. And I think for me, like, that's one of the things that I found <clears throat> growing up is that, and you can tell me what you think of this, but one of the many reasons why I think the, this view of Jesus and revelation, like in the left behind series and that, you know, that series made, made so popular is that having a theology of a violent Jesus, like a Jesus who represents a violent God or a Jesus who acts violent at times, like in the book of revelation, it sort of kind of gave people the license to almost keep violence or unforgiveness or judgment or hatred, like in my back pocket to kind of pull out whenever I see fit, because if Jesus will one day come back and judge the enemies of God and destroy all these people, then it kind of makes it okay, not for me to do that, but for me to kind of use that, keep that language in my back pocket, where if I have somebody who I just can't get along with, well, I hate them. They're an enemy of God. And that's just the end of it. Like it, it's very easy to look at God like that and say, well, I'm just acting like God. I'm just, I'm just living, you know, this is in the Bible. <laughs> it's, it's clearly okay to do this. It justifies the culture of bias. Let me yeah. put it this way. Imagine violence on sort of three levels. Yeah. Let, me, let me think mental violence. I'm not saying anything. I'm not doing anything, but I'm thinking, boy, you guys are going to get it. You people are evil. I'm thinking. I'm thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Let, let's take it down now from mental to rhetorical. I'm saying I have certain names for it. I call them heretics. I can call them demons. I can call them whatever. Yeah. And then eventually, of course, action. Hmm. So mental, rhetorical, physical. Because <laughs> after all, if I have the power, now the, the real power, mm -hmm. I mean by the state, <laughs> this has happened in the, with the Inquisition, mm -hmm. as you well know. If the Roman Catholic Church had the power and you are evil, well, what should we do with evil? Well, what you do with evil, of course, is you kill it, you destroy mm -hmm. it. If you've ever read Hitler's Mein Kampf in, written in the, about 1922, he always talks about Judaism in terms of pathology. Mm. Well, now he's just talking. Yeah. But then in the 30s, when he gets power, well, what do you do with germs? What do you do with with infections, you destroy it. Get rid of them, yeah. Get rid of it. So the logic is terrible from mental to rhetorical. Yeah. So even though you're right, in the book of Revelation, it's all images, it's all talk, it's all what mm -hmm. God would do. But also, if we're called to collaborate with God, if we're called, if we're made in the image and likeness of God, if Jesus is God's beloved son, mm. that's an awful encapsulation of violence, even to keep within ourselves because yeah. maybe we should do a little practice for the coming of now that by the way is something to be fair mm -hmm. the book of revelation never ever ever hints for a second that when god comes <laughs> on the battle charger we're going to assist him mm -hmm. that is not anywhere in the book of revelation it's in the Left Behind series. <laughs> That's my point. Yeah. It escalated the violence. Right. And we have yeah. to be fair, too. Yeah. It happened even earlier in the Narnia series. Mm. So beloved of children. Because Peter in the Narnia series has a sword. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. And there's that famous line um, where, who is it says to Peter? Is it Ashland the lion? I, who says, make certain you always clean your sword. I'm thinking of That's right, yeah. what said to Peter in, in the, in the, yeah. in the uh, gospels, put your sword, <laughs> don't use your sword, yeah. 
in, in the, what the lion, the witch and the wardrobe is clean your sword. So I know I may be offending a lot of people who think Narnia is a beloved children. It's the first stage of the left behind. Mm. Now it, it's better written to be quite frank with you. <laughs> it is, mm -hmm. and therefore more seductive. Yeah. But basically the line is if God is violent and Christ is the violent son and all the rest of it, I would not want to be on a stage arguing with somebody if the book of Revelation was the norm, mm. we shouldn't be violent. Yeah. I wouldn't know how to do it. Mm. I might be able to make an argument that, well, God is more violent than we are, so let's leave it up to God because God can do a better job. Mm. That would be my only argument. Yeah. If God had better bombs or something. <laughs> but if that is the norm, then, then basically any culture which is Christian yeah. We have to be pro-violent, however it might be mitigated, you know, but it'll bring a culture of violence. So it's it's not just like like watching maybe Star Wars and you, I don't think know if that makes most people want to be part of me violent. This is this is what we have to decide. You know, bluntly, Jesus the norm of the book, the book the norm of Jesus. It comes down to that. Make your decision understand it by the way mm, yeah i do understand it mm. <laughs> i'm irish <laughs> i do understand how a small people <laughs> battered you know bruised yeah and decide that someday we're going to batter and bruise back because as we know unfortunately that's the truth the brutality brutalizes you yeah instead of making you you know anti-brutal sure sure a brutalized child would become a brutalized parents so yeah it, it's terribly dangerous stuff hmm. so two questions then that stem from that uh, i'll ask them one at a time so the first one is what would you say because a lot of times I'll, I'll, I'll talk i'll use this kind of language that you're using and i'll talk about like jesus being the center of the story but then people tell me well you're just cherry picking the yeah. verses because you're just cherry picking all the lovey stuff out and you're for your you know god is loving but god is yeah god is just and, you know, you can't just leave these verses because you don't like them. Then you might as well be like Thomas Jefferson, just kind of cutting out part of the Bible you don't like. So what, what would your response be to that if someone were listening and that was crossing their mind? I always like when I get two questions to get them one at a time, because I found once I, <laughs> once I passed 85 years of age, I'd have forgotten the second one by the, by the time I get I'll them. let the other one simmer over here. I'll bring that yeah. one out in a minute. <laughs> no, no, you're quite right. Mm -hmm. I'm not cherry picking. I'm going with Christ. Yes. Christ is the norm. No. If Christ said, let me give an example. Mm -hmm. Paul in Romans says as the closest he ever comes to quoting Christ is sort of a love your enemies. But then the reason he gives for loving your enemies, Paul in Romans in chapter 15 is leave it up to God. Mm. Now that's a different motivation. Mm from Jesus's motivation, which I'll come back to in a minute. So I'm not cherry picking the verses. Mm -hmm. I'm cherry picking the person. Yep. Yeah. I'm going to say to anyone who says that, do you or do you not believe that God so loved the world that he sent us a person? Or do you believe God so loved the world he sent us a book? Yeah. Or why do you say, what would Jesus do and not what does the Bible say WDBS? Right. Sorry. WDBS. It's harder to remember anyway. I will say, yeah. WWJD. What does Jesus do? Yeah. So it is the essence of Christianity for me. Yeah. So it's not if if I have only the book to go on, I agree with you completely. If I have only the book, I can cherry pick the good stuff, and then you can cherry pick the bad stuff. And any person will say, well, when you're reading any book, you go to the end, see the final decision. Yeah. So if we have the book and the book is the norm and we are the people of the book, then I have no argument yeah. beyond, as you say, cherry picking. Mm -hmm. But then I will lose the argument because in any book, it's not whether you like the chapter. I mean, sometimes you'll get people complain. I didn't like the ending of a, of a story. <laughs> I didn't like the person died. I didn't. So you can't go into chapter three and say, a person's alive in chapter three, love chapter three. Yeah. You, 
you know, you'd have to say, well, I don't like the book because the person died. <laughs> so, you know, you go to the ending. Right. The, you can't get around it. You're, you're cherry picking the norm. I agree mm. with you. Mm -hmm. My argument is going to be, you're, you're a Christian. That's what you're called. Christ is your norm. So then you have to use that as the norm of the book. And that's what I do consistently. Yeah. And didn't Jesus, I mean, you think about Jesus, even the way that he used the scriptures. I mean, he often cherry picked things as well. I mean, I think of like the, when he unrolled the scroll of Isaiah and yeah. he only read, he read up to like half of one of the verses and he stopped right. at the judgment piece it's, and rolled it back up and sat down. <laughs> that's right. Nobody finished the verse. Right. Right. And maybe that's what made everybody so angry <laughs> was they wanted the judgment piece. I, I don't think of Jews as the people of the book either. I think of them, the people with the book, they're the people of the law. And I don't use law in the bad sense that is sometimes used in the New Testament. We have the law of Christ, Paul talked. <laughs> we live by law. That's where we live in this country. If law is bad, then how are we a people living under law? Yeah. So you can put your emphasis when you're trying to imagine, where do I see God most clearly? Yeah. It's a perfectly human thing. It's a valid, it's a valid incarnation let me use that word mm. for some people to say well our whole world is is a desert and here i find an oasis with water in it that gives us life yeah here in this oasis i find god mm. that makes absolute sense to me it makes no sense for me to turn on my tap and say god <laughs> no it's not gonna work for us right god is the water of life mm, i'm not sure that kind of works for us well yeah. You know, not if we have taps and everything, but right. maybe give us another hundred years and we'll see. But <laughs> where, where you find your God incarnate, embodied, is in every religion I can see. Yeah. I don't know anyone that really says God is invisible. End of story. <laughs> oh, then you look up to heaven. Okay. Right. <laughs> so we, we're embodied creatures. So yeah. whether you find God in a book, and then I want to know the content of that book. Right. <laughs> if you're finding God in a law, yeah. I want to see the, the law. Mm -hmm. If you find God in a person, of course, I want to see that person. Now, it's a crucial thing for me, for example. I mentioned, if I could go outside the Bible for a mm -hmm. moment, outside the New Testament. How dare we, you? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> if we didn't have the New Testament, yeah. we would have Josephus at the end of the first century. Yeah and Tacitus at the beginning of the second century, telling me that Jesus was executed, crucified. But I'd noticed that he didn't, that the Roman authorities didn't round up his followers. Hmm. Now that tells me something, I think we probably talked about this before, I'm sure. That tells me something crucially important because when the Romans went after a violent band for violent resistance, hmm. you grabbed the leader and all the top lieutenants, we were called them. Yeah. And Crucify them all in a row. So everyone gets like a real the, statement. Yeah. The statement. It's 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 state terrorism. It's yeah. And they'll have a they'll have a a name on them, you know, <laughs> terrorists or whatever. Mm -hmm. So if only if the only thing I knew about Jesus was that he was crucified, but his top followers, closest supporters, the 12, let's say, or Mary of Magdala, weren't executed, even arrested with him. Yeah. Like, you know, Barabbas is in jail and he's not in jail alone. He's in there with the other people who participated mm -hmm. in what they would call a Jewish uprising mm -hmm. against the oppressor. Yeah. Romans would call it bandits, of course. So Jesus is executed, but his top people aren't arrested. Mm -hmm. So that tells me from Pilate's point of view, I'm talking now as a historian, yeah. from Pilate's point of view, this person is creating a tumult among the people. That's the way they would say. Mm. He's not violent, but he's disturbing Roman law and order. Mm. He's what we would call in our language, conducting a demonstration. Mm. He's, he's not violent. More of a nuisance, yeah. It's a, it's a dangerous nuisance. Yeah. You know, if you went back to the Vietnam War and people who went in so the Berrigan brothers went into a draft card office and poured 
even ketchup, let's say, all over the draft cards. One level is just a nuisance, right? Yeah. The dirty the whole place. Doesn't stop the war, doesn't close down the Pentagon. It's a protest against the war. So it's, it's more than talking and it's less than violent. I think if they burn down, that would be considered crossing the line into violence. Yeah, yeah. Now, demonstration is very dangerous. It's on the cusp. Mm. So when Jesus, for example, turns over the money changers in the temple, that's a demonstration. Mm. So is riding into Jerusalem, by, by the way, at Pi, Passover on a donkey, <laughs> lampooning, <laughs> lampooning Pilate who's going to come in on a, on a, a horse. Right. <laughs> Demonstrations are, we know that. Yeah. Protests are dangerous. Yeah. Anything can happen. So Jesus actually, and I'm not trying to use modern language, mm -hmm. was executed for a demonstration at the volatile. I'm talking now historically, Mm -hmm. Even if I didn't have, but I wouldn't know that there was Passover time, of course, from Josephus or, or no, I wouldn't know it from Passover. Uh, no, from Tacitus either. But mm -hmm. I would know at least that he was considered nonviolent, but major nuisance. The Romans would not waste public execution because public execution demanded a squad of trained Torturers, to put it bluntly, they have to flog the person so the person won't resist them all the way. Yeah, yeah. But they can't flog him to the point he's going to die because they mm -hmm. want him alive to be crucified. Yeah. So this took trained executioners. It wasn't just anyone could do it. Yeah. So that was a squad of iron nails, the whole thing. They had to stay mm -hmm. there, guard the body so nobody could take it down until the poor person was dead. Romans didn't let me use a terrible term, waste execution, mm -hmm. common nuisances, public nuisances. Somebody who has people who are interested in this, who are what, this is how they did it. So I know, for example, just from Josephus and Tacitus, that Jesus was executed for nonviolence. Now I go into the New Testament and I find programmatic nonviolence, that they got it right, that Jesus mm -hmm. said, love your enemies. And the reason Jesus says, love your enemies, is because that's the way God is. Yeah. God sends the rain on the just and the unjust, mm -hmm. brings the sun up. And you might say, wait a minute. That's no way to run the world. In Deuteronomy 28, God sends drought on the evil and sends a nice gentle rain on the just. That's mm -hmm. not Deuteronomy. Exactly. That's mm -hmm. not Deuteronomy. Yeah. That's a different vision of God. So the... Jesus's kingdom of God or Jesus's divine rule is not the rule of the God of revelation. Yeah. So what would you say then to, I'm going to read a quote from your book, if that's okay. Okay, sure. So. Excellent source. Yeah, right. Excellent. Couldn't be, couldn't pick a better one. <laughs> Good author. <laughs> um, it kind of sums up everything we were just talking about regarding um, the Bible in the middle and things like that. But you say, even though scholars may see the Bible as a collection of diverse works from authors with diverse backgrounds, theologies, and purposes, the church must deal with the Bible as a whole, as revelation, as guidance for our lives today. And I think that you just explained perfectly as to why that is, and I, I could not agree more. My question is, I, I grew up seeing the Bible as just a single book. It's, it's almost as if God sat down in a Starbucks and wrote it and sent it to the publisher and that was it, right? It, this is how, it, this is what it is. First and it's edition. taken, it's taken me a long time to understand, um, like you said about scholarly, to think about it as separate letters um, written over a span of time, different people with different backgrounds, things like that. So for me to think about reading the Bible in this way almost feels like I'm taking a step backwards. And so I guess my question is, how can I take that step backwards? Because it's an important step, but not also go backwards in how I handle the Bible. Because I felt like when I saw the Bible's one text, it was very easy to almost weaponize it, I guess, and use it yes, in ways yes, that's not yes. intended to be used. So how do you kind of guard against that as you think about this topic of the violence of God and use the Bible in that, in that way? I don't know if you noticed in the book, for example, I made no section, Old Testament, New Testament. I read the Christian Bible yeah. straight through. Yeah. 
And that's right. It, it is, of course, all sorts of diverse writings over a thousand years. <laughs> but they are, they're not just assembled in their biblical stuff. Right. It is, it is a small library yeah. disguised as a book yeah. or presented as a story. Hmm. I mean, yeah. I mean, you could have a story today about, say, uh, a person um, during the Second World War saying they might have letters home would be in there. You could have all of that stuff in pieces from their diary. Uh, you know, it is, it can be read and was intended to be read mm -hmm. actually as a story with a beginning, a middle and an end. Mm. And it's perfectly valid to do that. And I did it in there. Yeah. And that is where you see clearly the problem, because if it is a book mm -hmm. and the book is dominant, yeah. then there is no way the book of Revelation isn't the climax and the grand finale and everything else we've been talking about. You can't get away from it. You can't say, well, let's focus on the gospel. That doesn't in itself say anything. Yeah, I'm talking about basically, to put it very bluntly, focusing on the incarnation. It's what we call it in theology on the historical Jesus. As for Christians, the revelation of God, hmm. the image of God, the son of God, son in that world means the heir, beloved son is the heir, heir is the one to everything comes. All these, these languages, the, the word of God, all hmm. of that, that is crucial for me, as I'm saying. Yeah. That, that, how would I put it? That is the norm of the story, I'd even say. Hmm. Because people who say this, though it's arranged, you know, I put together by all sorts of people and nobody kind of <laughs> knows who put the whole thing together. Right. You're perfectly right. And anyone who has bothered to read it through and read it through well enough to get a feel for it knows this is a story. It, it mm. works its way through this. And if we never had this Old Testament, New Testament, and just took the Christian Bible as the Bible, it's a perfectly good story. It's no more disjointed than some of the earlier stories when people were inventing narrative, right? You know, and did this happened and that happened, this happened and that happened, then he went here, then he went there. Yeah. You know, to get a nice clean narrative, but but it is a story. It yeah. ends at the end. So if to go back, I know I'm repeating myself, if mm -hmm. we are the people of the book, or the book is the norm, then those who read Revelation as the finale and the final decision of God are right. You cannot get away from it. Mm -hmm. Now you can you could raise the issue, you could raise the issue, and you should raise the issue that even if we do that, mm. there is absolutely no justification <laughs> in the book of Revelation for you and I getting with the program. It's just not in there. <laughs> it doesn't even imagine it, actually. Yeah. It imagines God, come, uh, Christ coming with the angels <laughs> because it's going to wipe out, I've forgotten the proportions, a third of the human race something or something. like that, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's not a 50-50. Uh, so there's no way you can get away from that, honestly. Yeah, yeah. You can't. And as I said, even Paul himself, though he's willing to say, you know, pray for those who persecute you and love your enemies almost. If you say, well, why? Because God can do a better job. And <laughs> it's up to God. Yeah. That is not Jesus. It really isn't. Hmm. I mean, you, you could say, don't, don't rise against your enemies because if you kill when your enemies, the Roman authority will come and execute you <laughs> they're in charge of killing so they have a monopoly on it but the reason jesus gives is even more startling he says love your enemies by the way hmm. please think about that for a second why doesn't he just say love everyone hmm. you know that includes enemies right uh, says love love your neighbor as yourself and love the resident alien as yourself hmm. love the refugees and others as yourself jesus why doesn't he say just love everyone why pick on enemies? How does he know I'm going to have enemies? Because love your enemies is Jesus's short version of nonviolent resistance. Mm. The only way you love your enemies, who is the enemy who's doing something wrong, by the way, doing something evil, persecuting you, mm. is to resist nonviolently. Yeah. In every way that you can prudently. Mm. If you say, well, it's right. If you join it, then you're doing evil too. So how do you, you have to, you have to resist it. Yeah. The way you love it is not to do it violently. Yeah. Even yeah. at least in your mind to know this is not right. Mm. 
even if you don't even see it. But first of all, if you're in, a, in an oppressive situation, don't say, well, it's good for business. Or, well, I got a good job, you know, here, so I'm not going to risk my job. At least up here, first of all, no, this is not right. Yeah, yeah. Then maybe see if you can say this is not right. Mm. And then maybe see what you can do. So Jesus' statement, love your enemies, we usually focused on love and say, how can you love your enemies? Maybe he just means, you know, if you find them in the ditch, like the good Samaritan, at least give them a donkey ride. Or, you know, like Book of Exodus says, if you find your neighbors, if you find your enemies donkey in the ditch, take them out. <laughs> Yeah, right, right. That's all I mean. No, shift the emphasis from love to enemies. Yeah. Why does Jesus take it for granted that his followers will have enemies? Hmm. As a as a statement that's kind of almost sums up the whole vision. Yeah. I would say that's just another way of saying conduct nonviolent resistance. Yeah. That's really good. One of the things I think I hear you saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we can take a lot of what we talked about and we can say that when we read the Bible and we come across something that is not reflected in the person of Jesus, that that's fair game to question that piece or to uh, maybe lower it on the ladder of importance. And I, I think if, if that is what we're saying, I think that's really hard for people who grew up with that inerrancy piece lodged into there. No, and I, I do realize it. I want, I want to do a third level. Mm -hmm. You read the Bible, you get used. The Bible is like a mirror hold up, held up to us. Mm. Let's not confuse ourselves that we're Jesus. When we see what people in the Bible did, the yeah. first thing I do in every case is try to understand if, if it's violent, why they did this? Why understand them, first of all, not agree with it. Mm -hmm. Then I realized that what we did in assembling the Bible was a magnificent justification of the ways of humanity against divinity. Yeah. Huh. We're going to encapsulate Jesus in there. Oh, yeah, we're going to have now your enemies in there. We're going to have all the good stuff in there. Mm -hmm. We're not we're not evil enough to clean it out. <laughs> <laughs> But we're going to tell the story. Yeah. So we're going to tell the Bible, I'm afraid, is a human document. Mm -hmm. It was put together by humans. Now, the good thing, to be fair, was it didn't just say at the time of Constantine, the middle, say 350, Constantine says, we're going to have a new Bible. This is out. That's out. This is out. It's going to be justifying the Christian Roman emperor, mm. empire, not that evil pagan, <laughs> the good Christian Roman emperor. So we're not too certain. We want to make it very clear in the book of Revelation that what was bad there was not the Roman empire, but mm. the pagan Roman empire. And God has destroyed the pagan Roman empire because I'm Constantine and we now have the Christian Roman empire. <laughs> So I, I do a good Constantinian reading in the book of Revelation, and we, we keep it in there. So yeah. he could have rewritten the Bible. Sure. Thank God it wasn't. So when I read these sections, I don't read the book of Revelation. I say, I don't even know if I want to say, get rid of it. Hmm. I mean, between 350 and about 370, between 325 and 375, Council of Nicaea, the time of Athanasius, they were discussing that really. Should it be in or out? It was mm -hmm. one of the books that was discovered, this decided these books are definitely in, these books are definitely out. There's some of them we're not too sure about. <laughs> and Revelation, iffy, right? Revelation was the big iffy. In one sense, I'm, I, I don't want to say I'm glad it's there, that would be not true. Mm -hmm. But granted, it's there, I see that it holds a mirror up to us. Mm. What we really cannot take. What we really will not take is a God who's not violent. Mm. We like the Deuteronomic God who rewards and punishes. Yeah. Not in this life, at least in the next life. We like a Jesus who comes back, who sort of admits that the first incarnation didn't work. <laughs> do we realize what we're saying? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't we do a very good job that first time. I 
come don't back. Have to come yeah. back. <laughs> you, you, come, you come on a donkey the first time, that doesn't want you work, you come back on a war charger. Right. <laughs> a very inept operation. Yeah. So the second coming, listen to the word, the second coming is the second coming never appears in the book of Revelation, of mm. course, the coming. But we're, we're really admitting that we really don't like what happened. Yeah. And we're going to rewrite it. Yeah. So I want the Bible there as a mirror. This is us. Mm. As Christians, we're told God works by nonviolence. Jesus works by nonviolence. We write the story now. It's like Churchill can you write the story of World War II? And guess who wins? Guess who wins it almost all by himself? Churchill. Right. We get to write the story yeah. the way we would want. Yeah. We will certainly admit that Jesus came the first time, that he did all this nonviolent stuff. We, you know, we're not evil enough to get that out. But then we have a second coming. Mm in which he will slaughter. And that's what we did. So I would ask people not to say, let's get rid of the Bible and just keep the Jesus parts. Mm. Uh, I want to look at Jesus as the norm of the Bible and the Bible as our denorming. I don't think there's a word. <laughs> I like it. It works. <laughs> denorming Jesus and putting him back the way we would like him to be. Yeah. So, in one sec, it's a terribly honest, it's a terribly honest document. It says, you know, in America, we wrote the Declaration of Independence, <laughs> and it was lovely. All are created equal. You know, we didn't say accept. <laughs> right. In one sense, we cleaned up the Declaration of Independence. Jefferson did a good job. We know who's left out. Well, we don't have to be embarrassed by saying all <laughs> white owners of land or, or something. It, it's, it's a clean document. Yeah. The Bible shows us us at work. Yeah. God at work, us at counter work. Yeah. So, yeah, the Bible as it is, please understand for me, I wouldn't be spending, I wouldn't bother writing a book like that. Mm -hmm. Just write a kind of a biography of Jesus as it is. <laughs> Yeah, you can do that. Yeah. But then it's also revelation. It's a revelation from God. Look what you guys would do. Mm. It's almost like God were saying today about the world. Mm. This, how are you guys doing with creation? Mm. How does it look after 70,000 years since Homo sapiens left Egypt? <laughs> <laughs> in evolution how does it look to you what, what are you doing with my world well look what we did with your book yeah <laughs> we yeah. cleaned it up so so we have the good stuff and the bad stuff but kind of the bad stuff wins yeah so i in answer really to your final question i'm not suggesting and i disagree completely with people who say let's have jesus dump the bible let's have the church and no, then we would not see a mirror held up to ourselves. Well, Dom, that is uh, that is a lot for me to chew on, but uh, I appreciate you taking the time to hang out with me. Um, I do have to clock back in for work in a little while, so I, I could talk to you all day. I could literally sit here and listen I'm to retired. you all I day. Get, I get the right. <laughs> uh, real, real quick, where can people go and find you online these days? And are you working on anything new you want to share? Just at, at the, the moment I'm working on a book, well, it's working, it's in with my editors at the moment, so it's in the final stages. Great. It's called uh, Render Unto Caesar. Uh, it's the, the classic translation of the, the coin with yeah. Caesar. Yeah. Although the Greek, by the way, says, apodote, give back to Caesar. Mm -hmm. It doesn't say render or give. It says give back to Caesar mm. things and give back to God the things that are God's. Yeah. So it's really a comparison between Luke Acts and the book of Revelation. So it is okay. discussing the book of Revelation in there. And that, please God, will be out um, 2022, I think. Okay. In spring of 2022. Okay. 
Well, then you can come on for your fourth time for the show. <laughs> We're all here, please God, and all alive. Right, right. Well, Dom, thank, thank, thank you again so much, and uh, I'll be talking to you soon. Thank you, Glenn. Bye. Perfect. And to all your viewers. Thank you. I know that there's something so special about you and me, babe. You got me, you got me, you got me feeling fine. So just say the words, cause you know what it means to me, babe. When you got me, you got me, you got me feeling right. Your eyes, your eyes hypnotize me, baby. Oh, your eyes, oh, your eyes Something so special about you and me, babe. You got me, you got me, you got me.